just pull a audible an audible here for a second and uh, just talk to the DNL group. As youth pastor for many years, I was part of DNLs and just being youth pastor for, for really several decades, just saw how that many things that we go to like this, camps and so on, can be such a super emotional experience. But then we get back into the real life, and then all of a sudden, what happened? And this was my morning quiet time, the devotion part of it, and I thought this was really, really good. The writer writes, he says, there is a nautical term, which is a sailing term, known as the doldrums. The doldrums are an area near the equator where the water is especially warm, so the wind can die down suddenly and it leaves a sailboat stranded for an extended period of time. The word doldrum has carried over into common usage to mean a period of listlessness, depression, or stagnation. Just as experienced sailors know to expect the doldrums, so those who want to grow in God's grace must know to expect the doldrums. The doldrums are an important, even necessary, part of learning to abide in Christ. They protect us from the dangerous temptation of enthroning our experiences of Christ over the real Christ. See, if, you're always, if you always got that high or a spiritual surge, every time you draw your cell, it would be easy to shift into pursuing your immediate gratification instead of pursuing Christ. And I thought that was an excellent word of caution. And so be certain that you are pursuing Christ, not your experiences. And the way that you pursue Christ is just to daily be in his word in prayer, being around other believers, as you heard last night, being part of a community and helping one another and encouraging one another. And so I want to encourage you guys to really, really listen to what I have to say this morning from the Gospel of John because it's so fitting. Before I jump into John, I would like to remind us of one way to stay in the Word over the next period of days until Easter is through our Lent devotions, and they are written by our very own leadership, our deacons and our elders, and some of the deacon elder wives, spouses, also wrote a few of these devotions. And so you can find these on the app. If you go to the bottom tab, there's a little tab called Lent, and starting Wednesday, which Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, and there will be 40 days, and, and Lent is actually a 46-day season, but Sundays are not included traditionally in Lent. And so there's 40 days, and these are 40 days of uh, traditionally repentance and fasting. And fasting doesn't mean you don't go the 40 days without eating, but in the model of Jesus, how he fasted, we give up something during that time. And so I want to encourage you to be part of this with your church family read the devotions each day that were written by someone right here that you more than likely know, and it really take part in this and help it and allow it to propel you forward in your time with God. And so we're back in John chapter 15, and we're just going to look at a few verses today. And so John 15, 26, and then we're going to go through verse, uh, chapter 16, verses four, verse 4. And I'm just going to read the first couple verses, and then we'll read the other two in a few minutes. So Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, When the Helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray, and we'll look at this passage. Father God, I thank you so much for your word that gives us truth that we can anchor ourselves into 
that we can anchor our lives on you, Jesus, through the words that you spoke, that we have recorded through the power of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray today as we read your word and as we look into your word, that we truly will allow these words to change our hearts and minds, that we will leave out of here uh, more dependent upon you and more desiring of you to live our lives for your glory. God, help us to not uh, just be like the silliness of a sailor who would try to blow his own sails to propel his boat, but God, help us to really rely upon your wind to blow us, that as we seek you and trust you, that you will propel us forward in this, what we call sanctification, our life becoming more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John 13 through 17, this passage of Scripture here has been what we call the farewell discourse. And this farewell discourse is some of the most amazing teaching in the Bible. Richard alluded to that that passage in Romans, amazing. But these words of Jesus are just truly foundational in our understanding of what it means to abide in Christ, to be in Christ. And so if you've missed some of these messages in John 15, I encourage you to go back and and listen to those. So in Jesus, as as this is being carried out with his disciples, it's Thursday night. Thursday night. Friday is crucifixion. So we're just a few hours away from Jesus being arrested. He's going to be beaten, he's going to be mocked, and he's going to be crucified. But he knows, and he's communicating with his disciples, that he will resurrect from the dead and he will send back to the Father. So Jesus uses this farewell address to talk to his disciples, to just give them the teaching they need so they will stay the course and remain faithful to him And then he gives this incredible promise that he promises to give the Holy Spirit. And back in chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus introduced us to something I've talked about a lot during this series, uh, these last few weeks of this series, is our union with Christ. When Jesus said, in that day, meaning when he ascends to heaven, the Spirit comes, he says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me and I'm in you. So he introduces us to this amazing reality called our union with Christ. And Paul speaks of that too in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is, what's the next two words? In Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the reality of what Jesus is saying is that in when he sends his spirit, that he will dwell within the believer And the believer will then be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to speak boldly and to live for Jesus. And we become a new creation, is what Paul said. We're a new creation, a whole new creation when Jesus comes to take up residence in our life. And so this union with Christ is this incredible truth, but sadly, it's something that the church oftentimes neglects speaking of. That wasn't the case. If you go back and read literature from uh, churches and pastors from several hundred years ago, then you'll see a lot of the union with Christ mentioned. But this terminology has kind of disappeared because it's so mysterious, it's hard to explain. It's hard to talk about. And so we live in a world that loves the physical. All the physical is all there is. All that really exists is what we see in front of us, the natural world. But union with Christ is spiritual and it's supernatural, that Christ is some way in us, and we're in Christ. And so, Scripture uses a lot of metaphors to explain 
our union with Christ. And that's another reason, because metaphors sometimes we don't understand, like, okay, what is this really saying? And so it takes us to really digging in and understanding what Scripture says. And one way I, I read that to maybe to think about, about it is when our oldest kids were small, and I, I tried to find this picture and couldn't find it. They were really little, probably four and six. They went into our closet, and they got our clothes, and Colin put on my clothing, and uh, Shelby put on one of Michelle's outfits. And here Colin is standing here in these big baggy pants, this baggy shirt, and this long tie. And Shelby has this dress on. She had a hat on. And, and it just looks silly. But, you know, if you had them come in and dress in those same clothes today, it wouldn't look so silly because they could fit into those clothes perfectly. They grew up into those clothes. So they were fully clothed, but that they had to grow up into the clothing. And so I love what the author said. He said, in the same way, we are already completely clothed in Christ and in his righteousness, but life in Christ is one of growing up into this new reality until it fits us. You're not striving to attain it. You're striving to lay hold of what is already yours. You are growing into it. I love that. And so if we're in Christ, we're a new creation, but it's also something that we continue to grow into, to become more like Jesus more and more in our life. And so don't be frustrated if you're a newer believer. Don't be frustrated if things just don't come easy for you. You should expect that, that growing to be like Jesus is a process, but it doesn't mean that it's one that you just lay back and Jesus does all the work. We strive to lay hold of what we already have, and that's mystery within itself. So we're a new creation. We're becoming who we are, so to speak. And so Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, he's making something very, very clear to them, and he's talked a lot about it these last few weeks in our text and it's really the thrust of this section. The disciple is so united, get this, so connected to Jesus that the hatred of the world will spill over on them as well. If you're so tightly connected to Jesus, this union with Christ, then when they see the believer, they see at some way, shape, or form, they see Jesus, and their hatred for Jesus spills over on them. But Jesus assures them, here's the good news that they don't have to do this on their own. The Holy Spirit will be coming soon to indwell the believer. And verse 26 and verse 27, those are, this is a third time in this farewell discourse that Jesus has told them the Holy Spirit is coming. So this is a huge deal. The Spirit is going to come, and he's going to empower his disciples. And Jesus says, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Jesus said, it's better that I go away. What? It's better that you leave this earth, Jesus? Yes, because the Spirit is coming, and He's going to do greater things than I did. The, the spread of the ministry of the church and what is accomplished through the Holy Spirit pales in comparison. I mean, that Jesus' ministry compels in comparison. Jesus was really focused in on one area. Then the gospel went throughout the entire world, and we still are talking about today. Verse 26, so when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So he says the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming is not to make a big deal about the Holy Spirit. Sadly, some churches get that wrong, and they want to make a big deal all the time about the Holy Spirit. 
Some people have even said the Holy Spirit is a shy. He's the shy member of the Trinity because he wants to lift up Jesus. The Spirit's work is to make much of Jesus. And then he says, Jesus said, he will bear witness about me. He will make me known. John MacArthur says this. He says, the Holy Spirit's primary ministry to the lost world is to testify about Jesus. Likewise, the message of the church is not political activism, social reform, or psychological self-fulfillment, but Jesus Christ. That's why here at Grace we say it's all about Jesus, and we say that a lot. We should say Jesus' name all the time because that's why we're here. That's why we got up this morning and came here, to make a big deal about Jesus, because Jesus came to reveal the Father, and not only reveal the Father, but to give us the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amazing. And so he says in verse 27, you also, he's talking to his disciples, he says, you also will bear witness. And so the Holy Spirit will come and they will bear witness. They don't understand this fully at this point, but Jesus assures them they will bear witness. The scripture teaches us that the Spirit comes to make us alive in Christ. We are different. Do you think, let me ask you this question. In a world of dead people, don't you think you would stand out if you're alive? In a world that is dead, in God's eyes, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. But as believers, we must stand out. We will stand out. The Holy Spirit, Spirit regenerates us, and he renews us and makes us new people in him. And I love Francis Chan says it this way. He says, if it's true that the Spirit of God dwells in us and that our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between the person who has the Spirit of God living inside him or her and the person who does not. So why is there not a bigger difference between so many people who claim the name of Christ in the world? It's a sad thing that people can be religious but really not care about Jesus. They can come to church, and they do it by the millions every Sunday morning, but many people walk out, disconnect, and say, that was great, check, and go about their life, and then the next time they think about Jesus is probably the next time they get to church again. I'm thankful, Grace Church, that's not the case here. But I'm speaking to those who may be in that situation, especially younger people who are still trying to grasp and understand what salvation is all about. Think of it this way. Here's, here's a real easy illustration for us to think about the Holy Spirit's empowerment and the change that should happen in us. Imagine if I told you, this is a stretch, all right? Imagine if I told you, that God came to me, and he, I had this encounter, and he said, I want you next year, John Woodrum, I want you to play in the NFL. I want you to play professional football. Tom Brady, you know, he's retired now. We need another old guy in there, and you've got a few years on Tom. So I need you to step in and quarterback the Bucks. all right? So I asked John to come and help me with this illustration. You can step over here, John. And so... What would happen, like, okay, so you see me now, you, you see me throw, I'm, gonna, I'm giving my best throw, John, don't, don't worry, it's not going to be that hard, all right? So it, it, that was pretty terrible, all right? It was wobbly, it was weak, let me see if I can catch, all right? It was wobbly, it was weak, but I mean, that's the best I got, okay? But if, if you really believe me that God, had, I had this encounter with God, and God truly told me this, and made this change, and all of a sudden, by next year, I'm going to be able to whip the ball like Tom Brady, and throw it down the field and lead the Bucks, then you're gonna what what are you gonna do? You're gonna see some improvement in me over time, right? You're gonna see some improvement. But what if in, in in six months from now, 
I get drawn back up, and I'm still throwing the same way again. Like, it's still going like that, all right? You're like, uh, I don't really believe you had this counter with God that you're talking about. I don't think so. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. I don't really believe that really happened, right? Because where's the evidence? Where's the fruit? Like, if you're going to get there, something's got to change in your life. And so Jesus, when he talked about producing fruit, and when he talks about the Holy Spirit coming, and we have this encounter with him, and the living God resides in us through the person of the Holy Spirit, we're going to look different than the world. And how does it look to the world when those who claim the name of Jesus just go out and live however they want to live? How does that look? We know it's many people say that. Just, I don't want to come to church because there's too many hypocrites. And yes, we're none of us are perfect. We're all becoming more and more like Jesus. What I'm talking about here is that you're desiring your life to be centered around Jesus. And here, here's, here's what I'm getting at. And you're seeking him on a regular basis, preferably, hopefully daily. You're dependent upon him, asking him to guide and lead your life. You see, if you're not in his word and in prayer and seeking him and doing like Jesus did, saying, Jesus, I need your help today to live for you. I need you to live through me today. Then there's a disconnect between what you claim and what the reality is because there's no way that you can live the life that he's called you to live by your own strength. Like I said in that prayer, it's like trying to blow your own cell and go down the, the ocean. You're, it ain't going to happen. And so he wants us to make much of him. The theme of D now, if, if you're like me, you might be like, what's un-ash-am-ed? What does that mean, right? Uh, that says unashamed, all right? Unashamed, it took you a minute to figure that out. The theme of D now was unashamed. Here's my challenge to, to students. Public school, Christian school, homeschool, whatever you find yourself, whatever situation. This week, speak the name of Jesus at your school. I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to some way, I'm not even asking you to open the Bible and share the whole gospel with someone. I'm, all I'm saying is, speak Jesus. Talk about Jesus. If Jesus has impacted your life and he's made a change in your life, be willing to be proud of him and speak of him. Because the things that we talk about are the things that we love and worship. And we begin to say, Jesus, I'm going to be bold for you. I'm going to speak your name. And I'm going to do it boldly for you. It's going to be one of the toughest things that you ever did. It's going to be so difficult. The first time that you speak Jesus, say Jesus, his name in front of somebody, people are going to look at you like you are, are crazy, that you're weird. But you know what? Don't be shocked by that. Even in a Christian culture, do not be shocked by that because Jesus tells us that it's going to happen. And so when you go, before you go off to school, before you go off to work, before you go off to meet your friends, pray and say, Holy Spirit, Help me to re remind me to speak the name of Jesus. Remind me to fulfill my purpose, which is what you're trying to do, Jesus, in me, Holy Spirit in me, is to speak the name of Jesus. That's what you want from my life. Allow me to speak your name today. And Jesus warns right here in this passage. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. He's given them the, the warning. He's saying, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. He's talking to the 11 disciples. And, and maybe you're thinking, 11 disciples? I thought it was 12 disciples. Well, one's already taken off and abandoned him, right? And it's interesting, this term falling away, it's literally used of the bait in, in the noun form. It's the bait switch of a trap, 
okay? And so when a trap, what happens if you get near a mouse trap and you stick something on there and you touch the bait trap, the little lever, what happens? Boom, it snaps and it closes. And it goes off when you least expect it. And that's what happens when an animal goes to a trap. It's not expecting to get caught and boom, it happens. And so Jesus' language here, he's saying, I'm preparing you for what's about to go off, all right? What's about to happen here is I want you to be ready for it. Don't be shocked. Don't abandon me. Don't get, don't get like, oh, where did this come from? And run off. Don't be shocked or disillusioned. You are a target as well, Jesus is telling that. And remember, again, the disciples at this time, they did not expect Jesus to die on a cross. As much as Jesus has told them that he's going to die, they still just, they have no category for a, a Messiah who suffers and dies. The Messiah was supposed to come in and rule Israel and bring that back to the prominence of David. And they were going to rule beside Jesus. That's why Jesus, as I was reading this week in Luke, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom and talking about suffering, and then they start arguing about who's going to be the greatest in that kingdom. They just don't get it. They have no compartment for that, no category for it. And so Jesus is telling them, don't be shocked by what's going to happen. I was reading the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews is one of those books of the Bible that maybe newer believers are a little intimidated by. For years, I was intimidated by the book of Hebrews. But there's this great little nugget in chapter 13. And let me explain it to you because it won't make sense maybe for some of you at the beginning. Verse 11, it says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. What does that mean? Well, in the old covenant system, the priests were ordinarily allowed to eat the remains of the animal sacrifices. That's how they would uh, feed their families. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, the, the day that the entire nation of Israel, a sacrifice was offered on their behalf, that day the priests were not allowed to eat the sacrifice. In fact, that day the sacrifices had to be taken outside of the camp, outside of the city, and they had to be burned. So listen to verse 12 and 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endures. So what's the point? When we join up with Jesus, we go outside the camp, okay? Jesus lives outside the camp. He's an outcast. Culture doesn't accept him. He's telling them just very clearly, if you identify with me, here's where your life will be lived, outside of the culture, outside of those who are in the know, in the inside, politically or religiously in Paul's, I mean, in Jesus' time. So Christians outside the culture, despised, they're the scum. The outside is where you go to die. And those inside the camp, they're going to accept you as long as you stay silent about Jesus. But once you start speaking up about Jesus and choosing Jesus, you have to go outside where he's at. So ask yourself, ask yourself, are you willing to have that happen? Are you willing to sacrifice your reputation, your coolness, 
your acceptance. This is real stuff. And sadly, I know that maybe when you're younger, you think, well, I get to be an adult. That won't be, the, pre- the pressure won't be on anymore because, you know, as adults, you're very secure, you're married, you got kids. Like, why do you care what people think? Well, it doesn't change, all right? You still care. You still have a reputation. A businessman in this community who has clients, and that's how he makes his living, if he gets overly excited about Jesus, it could cost you, even in conservative Bainbridge, Georgia, but especially so much of our country. You just don't get excited about Jesus. You keep Jesus kind of to the side. And so he tells his 11 disciples, I'm preparing you. So when, you, when I go off, you won't be disillusioned. There may be this knee jerk, the trap is sprung, and, and, and instantly you're shocked. But he's saying, remember what I told you. And he even gets specific about them losing their status. Look at verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. That's where the Jewish people met. Um, other than the temple, those were the outer lying areas where they would gather. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they are offering service to God. And so this was a huge deal for Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. So to be put out of the synagogue was, was incredibly, uh, just this incredible statement. It's just way more than just getting kicked out of a church, right? You're literally getting kicked out of your community. You're losing your identity. Your identity's been erased. Your future plans would be shattered. You would not bury a girl from the community any longer because they would never let, that family would never let their daughter be seen with you and identify with you. And so you were outcasts. Your children were outcasts. And so Jesus prepares them. He says, look, they're going to put you out of the synagogue. They're going to get you out. They're not going to want anything to do with you. And in fact, they're going to throw a funeral for you. That's what they would do for Jews. They would throw a funeral for these, those who denied their Judaism. They would throw a funeral for them and mourn over them. You were like a person without a country. And he says, they're going to think doing this, they're doing it for God. And that reminds us of the Apostle Paul. Who, what did he do? He went around and he persecuted Christians. And he killed Christians and he thought he was doing it for God. And then verse 3. He says, again, Christ in you makes you a target. He says, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They're going to come after you. They're going to kill me. Look at verse 4. And I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. When the hour comes, when they come and the persecution, the mockery, the getting dismissed from the synagogue comes, let that remind you, I warned you about all this. should not be shocked. It's part of God's plan. It's part of God's plan. And so let's talk about our application, our head application. Don't be shocked. Living for Jesus is not easy. Being religious, easy. Living for Jesus, not easy. But the good news is, as Jesus said, he's going to put the Spirit within us. And the Spirit isn't some force. The Spirit is a person who has a personal relationship with the believer, but also he has a personal relationship with the Father and the Son, the Trinity. Jesus speaks often, the Father in me, I in the Father. In you is the Holy Spirit. You're in me. The Trinity, Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all working 
to keep you from falling away, to keep you close to him so that you can lay hold on all that he has declared that you are in Christ. And so the hands application, very simple. Speak the name of Jesus in front of someone this week. It could be if you're in a Christian school. I grew up in a Christian school. It's hard to speak the name of Jesus in a Christian school. And some of you are like, what? Because even there, it, it, don't, don't, don't take this too serious. All right? Don't be too serious about Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. Wherever God has put you, adults, don't be ashamed to speak the name of Christ. The Spirit lives within you. He's desiring to make much of Jesus. Don't fight him. Allow him to work through you and in you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for these, these incredible chapters of John that help us understand what we should expect when we identify with you. You said it again and again to take up our cross, that count the cost. You said it in many different ways, yet we're still sometimes shocked when we suffer for you, God. Help us to be aware that it's an honor and it's a privilege to be mocked or made fun of or laughed at or dismissed or not invited because we bear the name of Jesus. And God, I pray you'll give us wisdom as we do that, that we won't allow our views on other peripheral issues to jump in line and ahead of you, Jesus, but help us to be about you, Jesus, lifting you up and making you known. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.